Hello and welcome to Plot Trists. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Say Goodbye to Hollywood by Jenny Trout. This was published in 2017 and is not the part of any series. Uh, it was independently published by Jenny Trout, who's also formerly known as Jennifer Armantrout, um, but now goes by Jenny Trout or Abigail Barnett. So she has several pen names. Um, you may know her. I, I honestly believe that she still may be the best known for doing these chapter-by-chapter chapter recaps of the Fifty Shades of Grey series. So when Meg and I first met before the podcast was even a blip of an idea in our heads, we both already read her blogs mm -hmm. and thinking they were hilarious, including her Fifty Shades of Grey recaps is one of the things that Meg and I first started talking about in the romance genre together. Yes. Uh, and Say Goodbye to Hollywood was written in 2017, right around the time that Fifty Shades of Grey was being turned into a film. Mm -hmm. and I, look, let's just come straight out and say it. This is a romance, a clay about mm -hmm. the adaptation of Fifty Shades of Grey into a movie. So there are like blind items that are woven into this text. Um, there's a satire about it. Uh, so, I mean, this, this book, that's really what it's about. That said, I think it's really well done, in my opinion. I thought the strongest parts of this book were the parts that were very clearly an allusion to what a challenge that must have been to adapt. Yes. Um, I also think that the strength of it was the fact that she made these characters who were emotionally invested in some way in the idea. They are, I think, to some extent, a projection of Jenny Trout and her readers, so the people who felt a certain kind of way about Fifty Shades of Grey. Right. And since we were among those people, I think it resonated with us. It was a really cool concept with some yeah. really fun execution. Exactly. All right. What is the official book jacket, Lane? When she's hired to adapt the blockbuster novel, Beautiful Darkness, for film, screenwriter Jessica Yates sees an opportunity she can't pass up. The only thing standing between her and a guaranteed hit movie is the author. Lynn Baldwin's rise from Midwestern housewife to literary superstardom has gone straight to her head, and she's not willing to see her creation hit the screen without her total approval. As the entire creative team struggles with the hard-to-please author, Jessica's personal life spins out of control. When there's more relationship drama and kinky sex off the page than on, she's forced to reevaluate what she really wants before beautiful darkness destroys her Hollywood dreams forever. The fact that uh, Jack is not mentioned in this jacket uh -huh. is bizarre to me. It's bizarre, but I think it supports our thesis that this really isn't about the relationship. It's about the adaptation of this book. Yes. So, uh, as usual, we generated a random number between 1 and 50, and then we wrote our own summaries based on that number. And for this episode, the number we generated was 17. So, uh, you know what? I will go first. 
Screenwriter Jessica and movie star slash producer X Jack are working together on the adaptation of best-selling erotica. He's been a director before. He just isn't for this production. Correct. Yes, that's true. Uh, Lane, what's your 17-word summary? It is sort of hard to get over your ex when you control his orgasms every Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even in between. Correct. Mm -hmm. So this, while it is a thinly veiled satire, uh, it is also a romance. So there are a lot of romance tropes in it. Yes. The big one, of, of course, is second chance romance. So Jack and Jessica dated like five, six years ago mm -hmm. after knowing each other in interesting ways for a couple of years prior to that. And then all came crashing down in Jessica's fit of insecurity and not knowing what she wanted. But they stayed friends, business partners and fuck buddies during mm -hmm. that time period. But now they're both sort of thinking, is that where they want to keep things? Mm -hmm. It is also a workplace romance because Jack is the one producing the film and he is the one who reaches out to Jessica and asks her to adapt the screenplay. And one of the things Jenny, one of the things I really enjoyed that Jenny Trout did is Jessica and Jack's relationship, sexual relationship is BDSM. Yes. And was, even when they were together, not exclusively, but pretty heavily. And so both of them feel responsible for accurately and responsibly portraying mm -hmm. a dom-sub relationship in mm -hmm. a way that the source material clearly did not. Mm -hmm. So their relationship and the sexual side of their relationship specifically acts as another vehicle by which to satirize. Yes. Yes. I thought it was... Right. I mean, I don't know what other word to use. I thought it was masterful, like really well done. Yes. Like, honestly, really, really well done. Whether it turns you on or not, the sex scene was an integral part of showing the issues with the source material. And also showing how fucked up their dynamic is. Well, yes. <laughs> Not being into BDSM, but like they literally compartmentalized their lives and viewed their dom-sub relationship as completely distinct from who they were in every other aspect of their life. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, uh, it was a lot. It was a lot. And it was, uh, God, we're going to talk about it, I, I'm sure, when it comes to sexiness. But this, it makes me think of what we were talking about when we were talking about Radiant Sin, about how there are a lot of ways that depicting kink can go right or can go wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think Jenny Trout did a really good job with it here because she's saying, she's not saying that the sexual dynamic is unhealthy because their sexual relationship is working really well. What's not working well is their, their personal relationship outside of sex. And I think that was really a fascinating way to, to write it. Absolutely. Okay. Are there more tropes? They meet when he is engaged. Specifically, <laughs> actually, the night of his work bachelor party. His bachelor party, yeah. And she is working said party. Yes, she's a stripper. And building off that, their meet cute is in an inappropriate place. And we've seen this. We've seen brothels a couple of times. In this case, theirs is a strip club. Mm-hmm. And this was another place there that I thought Jenny Trout did a great job because Jessica starts out the book, well, in the flashbacks, 
it shows the beginning of their relationship and she's a sex worker. And I thought the way that the sex work was depicted was really good too. I agree. However, I think those flashback sequences were when I was most conscious of how little character development Jack and Jessica had. That's in, fair. In terms yeah. of like, that's the truth. They had character development in the course of the book, but they don't have pass. They don't have, with the exception of a couple of key factors, you don't know why Jessica was a sex worker. Yeah. I like, mean, they're really, they really are just flashbacks of like, these things happened. Yes. They're not... And on the one hand, I get it. Like, I, I understand where you're coming from as it's maybe a weak point of the book. On the other hand, it doesn't bother me that these are just, these are these people and this is their lives. These are their lives in this moment. Do you know? Yeah. I, I, again, I, I wouldn't say bother. Like, I'm not saying it like critique. I'm just saying I was very aware during all of those flashbacks how little we actually knew about these characters yeah. in a way I wasn't reading the present scenes yeah yeah um okay let's talk about the book i so this i own this book i bought it when it first came out in 2017 and um as i was rereading it i was reminded of how much i really liked the first two thirds to three fifths of the book like 85 percent of the book i thought was really great Three completely different numbers. <laughs> I'm not good at math. Okay, I'm three fifths, sixty like... percent, two thirds, sixty six percent, eighty five percent. I said three fifths. <laughs> anyway, yes, th three fifths is sixty percent, Meg. That doesn't make sense to my brain. <laughs> I thought that was more close to eighty five percent. Four fifths is eighty. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I, okay, so I, I like more of the book than I dislike. And it's not even that I dislike the end. I just feel like it's a little bit weaker. Well, one, a lot happens in a very short period of time. So it did feel a little bit rushed. But two, the end is where she completely goes away from satirizing Fifty Shades of Grey and is just focused on the two of them actually working their shit out. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish that they had worked their shit out on the backdrop of the Fifty Shades of Grey satire. Same. You know, because, that again, that is the high point of this book. It's really well done. We've already talked about how she does this amazing job. Jenny Trout does this amazing job of, of not just giving us this, like, funny satire, but also illustrating... I don't want to call it, like, the dangers of the book, right? But illustrating the issues with the book that are not just, oh, it's mommy porn. Right. Right. Because there are a lot of ways that you can criticize Fifty Shades of Grey. One of them is it's bad writing, right? Which is not great writing. But we see that a lot, that criticism leveled a lot at romance in general, like romance, the genre. So it, the people who criticize it just for its literary merits, I feel are falling into this trap of, of saying that it's the same as other romance. I think that the people who criticize the book from like through the lens of saying, well, romance is a legitimate genre and it brings up legitimate issues. And these are the issues that I have with this particular book. It's a much stronger critique. Sure. And so I think it's really great that she does it, not only looking at it from this lens, but also 
in a romance novel. Like, I love that Ginny Trout thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a book, like write a romance novel, write an erotic romance that takes on these ideas and looks at them with a critical eye. So it was great. Yeah. I, I also really like that Jessica is a screenwriter. I don't know how much, like how plausible this would be to have the screenwriter like on set and doing all this stuff. Like I, I honestly, I don't know, but what felt authentic to me was her approach to writing in general. Mm-hmm. Um, she, and again, I get it. Like when writers write about writing, like there, are, it's not that uncommon to have a writer as the main character in a book. Right. But the fact is that it it felt like her relationship with her writing was authentic, which again, it makes sense because a writer's writing it, but I also thought it worked on a meta level. She is adapting a screenplay of a book that in real life was fan fiction of another work. Yes. And in this universe is plagiarized from someone else's fan fiction. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Um, because to my knowledge, plagiarism has not been leveled at Fifty Shades of Grey, except no, <laughs> no, that's true. No one is saying that E.L. James was not the fanfic author, Sword Swallow or whatever, who originally published Fifty Shades of there Grey. Is, the, if there is a case to be made about intellectual property and ownership, it is in the controversy of when does fan fiction cross a line. Yes. In and of itself, it's not straight up ripping off another fanfic author. Yeah, no. And then, I mean, I guess that's the question, too. Like, when is inspiration not just inspiration? Mm-hmm. I, I have gone on the record. <laughs> I don't know if I've gone on the record or not, but uh, let me do it now. <laughs> you know, inspiration is inspiration, you know? like, uh, Wow, it, profound. It's so profound. I know. But, like, there's nothing completely original out there. Like we talk about tropes every single week and we talk about like, I love this trope or I love that trope or this reminds you of this book or this reminds you of that book. That said, there are books that I have said are maybe hew a little too close to their original inspiration, you know? Absolutely. And I think the line also in these cases often is drawn based on whether or not the original intellectual property is what is selling Mm-hmm. the fan fiction or whatever like are are you profiting off of someone else's idea in the sense that like would 50 shades of gray have gotten so big if it wasn't t- affiliated with twilight not just inspired by but like everybody knew it was twilight fanfic and the names had just been changed yeah i mean that's the real question i guess that we yeah. will never know the answer to I, i'm not weighing in i'm no. just yeah. I'm I'm not either. You know, I know that there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people who read Fifty Shades of Grey without knowing that it was a Twilight fanfic. You know. Okay, rocks are great homes. Yeah, but I mean, there like there are people out there who don't they who who don't know. You know, still don't know to this day. I think. Yeah. So. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um. I. I do think that the the first part of the book where she's weaving in this commentary on the book, the commentary on um, intellectual property um, and 
and the commenting on, on writing the difference between adaptation yes and whatever the author in this book did yes exactly well and then also the idea of like authenticity i think comes mm-hmm. through right um not just in is it an original piece of of work or is it an adaptation of a book but also like the depiction of bdsm right right? like we have this the idea that um lynn baldwin has of what bdsm is and then we see what it is on the page when jessica and jack engage in it and then we see jessica trying to bring that experience and that authenticity into the adaptation and that being rejected by the author right so all of those things i think just really work together so well one of the other things i really liked this book had more references to specific songs specific trends specific restaurants specific like movies coming out i I mean it she talks about how as a screenwriter everyone expects her to have seen every tv show and lists a bunch of ones that are popular right now Uh and i just thought that was a really interesting choice and one i actually think worked really well yes often authors refrain from mentioning anything super specific that dates something that acutely but in this case 50 shades of gray and its film adaptation were such a moment that i think continually calling out and reminding people that this was a really weird moment in romance history Mm -hmm. and continually placing you in it was extremely useful. Yes, I totally agree. Uh, Cause I was thinking about how, you know, and, and again, this book is, you know, over, it's about five years old at this point, five or six years old. And when I first read it, like, I'm sure it didn't even strike me. I was like, yeah, this is contemporary romance. Now I'm reading it and it it doesn't feel contemporary. It doesn't feel like today, but I can identify. She does such a good job of placing it in 2017. Yep. That it doesn't feel dated. It doesn't feel dated the way a book that tries not to feel dated can, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's really good. And they're both in their 40s, uh-huh. which I thought was great. Um, to contrast with the 28-year-old billionaire <laughs> of the story within the story. Yes, yes. And, okay, the other thing I loved is that when Lynn Baldwin was writing the book, she has gone on record saying that the person she imagined as being the billionaire in the book <laughs> was Jack. Right, if she pictured him as this dominant yes. alpha male character who was also a literal dom. Yes. Um, so that's one thing. And then in real life, he's the sub in the relationship. Yep. Which I would thought was so great. And also, like, he's just a nice, like, he's a respectful person, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's not a toxic, horrible Hollywood guy. And... It just, there were these parts that were just so funny because she was like, ugh, ugh, my Jack would never act like this. <laughs> he's just not alpha enough. And like Jessica's thinking to herself, he's like the most alpha person I know. And that's the reason that it's so great to like be his dom. Right. Like this, this really alpha guy is submitting to me. And she's like, that's what's the turn on. And it was just, 
I just thought this really interesting perspective shift. And you're like, oh, like the way she writes it here, you're like, okay, I get it. The way you read in the book, you know, he's a dumb because his mom was a, you know, a heroin addict. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not getting into that. Yeah. <laughs> we have very deliberately not reviewed Fifty Shades of Grey on this podcast, and I don't want to turn this episode into that. No. Okay. Last 15% of the book, um, I've said, feels really rushed. It feels rushed because, I think for two reasons. I think first, because we have, first, uh, Jessica gets fired. So she's no longer interacting or really having any day-to-day, anything to do with this this job. So we're not seeing the satire up close. Um, so that's number one. Uh, and then, so I, I think that Jenny Trout felt like she did what she had to do. Mm-hmm. With that first part. She's like, okay, I'm done with this. And now she's like, oh, I guess I better wreck with this relationship. Um, so they get together. They admit they love each other. They have one final sex scene. Um, and then that's really it. Yeah. So it's, it's very fast. Sorry if I'm spoiling this book, but I, I don't think it's much of a spoiler. <laughs> they end up together. Yeah. Um. I do want to, this leads us straight into trigger warnings or content warnings. I think the biggest one, well, one of the bigger ones is infidelity. So Jack does cheat on his girlfriend. Yep. With Jessica. Mm-hmm. I thought it was an odd choice because for the rest of the book, Jessica is very supportive of other women. Um, she's trying to be supportive of this relationship. I guess I could... I think there wasn't enough time spent on the resolution to make you feel like she regretted it. She doesn't. She says on the page she doesn't regret it. And I mean, that's, I think that's the thing too, is you're like, then you're like, okay, how do I as a reader feel about this choice on Jessica's part? I thought it was also really interesting to have Jack be in a serious relationship throughout this book and not have his point of view. Yeah. Yes. It's all just Jessica's responses to it, which leads to a moment like him saying, yeah, I really love her, but I love you more. Mm-hmm. When he's still technically dating this other woman. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt really gross about the whole thing. Yeah, it's it, it's a weird choice to wrap the book up. And like, this is the happily ever after is Jack cheats on this other woman. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit odd. The whole time Jessica's thinking, don't say we, don't say we, and she realizes he's there alone. Wouldn't it have been great if he was like, yeah, it didn't work out? Yeah, but she we was, broke I up. I was always comparing her to something else that I couldn't have. Yeah. Like, it or... would have been so much tropier. Yes. But there's a reason those tropes exist, because they make us feel better. Yeah, yeah, yep. Or even, okay, I know this is ridiculous, but, like, even if, like, he had just texted her before he and Jessica went up to his room. I know it's like splitting hair is very fine, mm-hmm. but even that, you know? Anyway. I just would have rather she didn't exist. Yeah. Here's the thing. Her function in the plot was Jack realizing he had other options if Jessica wasn't going to be one mm-hmm. and Jessica being really jealous. Mm-hmm. I don't think the relationship needed to take up as much space as it did and like 
to last for as long as it did to serve that purpose. Yeah. So I think it just ended up making this thing pretty morally gray, if not black. Yeah. So, and I don't and, need that. Yeah. And again, there there wasn't enough time spent with them to make me feel okay with it. Agreed. So I think that's, it was very too quickly wrapped up at the end. That's all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other content warning is basically, well, we talked about sex work. So there is sex work. I'm just mentioning it. I, I think it's portrayed pretty well. Like I don't have any issues with it. She was a stripper and then a professional dominatrix before she got her screenwriting start. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also a really toxic workplace relationship. But that's the point of the book. Yeah, I also think the power dynamic in Jack and Jessica's workplace relationship is called out constantly. It's like a major source of the conflict. Yeah. Um, And neither of them are shitty people about it. But if those weird power imbalances in professional settings are not something you want to read about, it's here. Yeah. All right. Anything else? I think that covers it. All right. Let's talk about sexiness because... It, I think I don't think this book would be the same without the sex scenes. Oh no, you needed them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so the first sex scene is like it's a an entire chapter mm-hmm. of a BDSM scene. Right? Right. So he comes over to her house. I'm not gonna go into detail about like what they do, but she, you know, tortures him sexually for a long time. And the boundary that they've established in their new dynamic since they have broken up is that she does all this stuff to him, but yes. he doesn't touch her. They don't have sex. She doesn't get off. It's like a way more hardcore version of the no kissing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which was is. fascinating. Yeah. It was really fascinating. Um, I also think that this scene was really important because, for example, um, Jenny Trout allows them to get to the point where Jack actually safe words. He uses the mm-hmm. safe word, which if you've read other books, either it's not discussed or like they'd be like, no, I never I would never use a safe word. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And And I think she's really making this effort to show like what a consensual, ethical bdsm relationship would be like with two characters who clearly have not resolved very important key issues between each other yeah and i think that was really good like honestly i think it was really good yeah these characters are not they're not perfect characters even when they get to happily ever after they're not perfect um people as we just talked about at length there are shades of gray verging you know dark gray (laughs) With this relationship. Uh, But even though they themselves do not have a very healthy relationship dynamic outside of the bedroom or the BDSM scene, this part of their relationship, sexual relationship, is clearly defined, clear boundaries. And I I don't know. I just just thought it was really good and was a perfect contrast Mm -hmm. to what she was trying to call out. In the other part of the text. And I also think the subsequent non-scene sex scene worked really well, especially when you're contrasting it with Fifty Shades of Grey, because mm-hmm. 
they don't only have sex in scenes. Right. It is not some sort of she has to exert control and be in her sex dungeon in order for it to be fun for her. That said, even in the non-scene scene, little bits of she's clearly the dom come out. Yes. And it was, I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. Yeah. There are very few romances you read, in my opinion. I mean, and again, we're not reading, we're reading like mainstream romance, right? Mostly historical, some contemporary. But in those books, they're mostly vanilla. But if they're not, it's like 99% of the time, the dude is the dumb. If that's even a dynamic that's expressed. If, if, if there's any king. Right. Right. So, you know, very rarely would we see a woman be dominant in the bedroom. For more than just like, I want to be on top. <laughs> right. You know, and he's like, oh, she's just taking control. And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I think this book is worth checking out. If you were at all interested in like the Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon back in 2017, um, I, again, I think there are a lot of elements that are really, really well done and super interesting to read. But it works best as a contrast to that moment in history. Yeah. Like even little things like you, you, if you know one thing about Fifty Shades of Grey, it's probably that there was an entire chapter of a sex contract. Mm-hmm. Clearly... Jack and Jessica have a healthy sexual dynamic, as Meg keeps saying. There is no, con like, they have exit plans, they have safe words, but there's no, like, binding document about what they do and don't do. And it's, I think those things all only work if you have the context of Fifty Shades of Grey, because way more time was spent on developing that commentary than on the relationship. And I think that was yeah. the point. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the point. So, like, truly, the point of this is if if you are interested in the discourse, like, if you read Fifty Shades of Grey and were like, I'm not sure how I feel about this. If you read Jenny Trout's reviews of Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm-hmm. Anything like that, I highly recommend that you pick it up. On its own, maybe doesn't hold up quite as well. Yeah, I, I mean, we can't know because we both read it with context and already yeah. liking her. But, yeah. I did not read this thinking, oh, my God, this is so romantic. I'm shipping Jack and Jessica. No, no. And I don't, I mean, I don't think you were supposed to read it that way. I I don't either. So, but anyway, yeah, I, I thought it was totally worthwhile. And I'm really glad that I read it and talked about it with you, Lane. Same. So if you enjoyed listening to us talk about it, uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. And thank you so much for listening.